following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Hey there, Thunder Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. I'm your host, your compare on Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, joined as I am every week by the man himself, <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you? I'm sorry, Dave. Is me being here every week a drag on your existence? <laughs> No, it's just like, as I was about to do my enthusiastic shift to you, I, I looked on the, the window on Zoom and you looked like you'd fallen asleep. And I was just like, ooh. It's a good, <laughs> good start. start. Yeah, and whereas I'm thinking, going, God, is it really that bad having to talk to me every week or two weeks, whatever it is? We're in, we're coming in with opposite energy levels this week because I feel like I'm... You're alive. Uh, I, yeah, I've, I'm feeling alive. I'm just about at the start of my holidays and you're going through like a horrible period in work. Yeah, it's a <laughs> real differing uh, worlds at the moment for us. Yeah, I, I actually look, so I have the, um, her herself, the young wife, got me um, a Fitbit for my birthday a few mm. months ago. So, you know, on that, you're actually able to like track your sleep and stuff like that. And I, I don't sleep that much usually. Like, I only sleep about six hours a night. Mm. Um, and I'm good to go after that. Um, but last night, because I finished my first, so like I have a little meeting on Monday, but I finished my last proper day's work before the holidays yesterday. And I just said, you know what? I'm actually not setting the alarm. How long could I possibly sleep for? And I slept for 10 hours. Oh, my God. I have never seen a sleep score. Like it was up in the 90s. They, they rate your sleep score. And it was up in the 90s. And like neither myself nor Emma had even seen a sleep score in the 90s <laughs> since we'd, we'd both gotten them. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling well. Right. And not only that, but I ended up having the traditional uh, dad nap on the couch after the football. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, a couple of absolutely banging games in the Premier League today, so I didn't like fall asleep during either of them, um, but ended up, yeah, having a little bit of a nap uh, on the couch. Uh, and then a cheeky chipper to, to finish off the night as well. What's your... Fucking living the dream over there. I know, yeah, it's, it's actually been a great weekend, to be honest. Um, we're recording this on it. We usually record this during the week, but this is at the weekend. We're, we're doing it for once because uh, we're recording these a few weeks ahead. We're, tr- of time. we're trying to get ahead of ourselves now, coming into Christmas yeah. for the first time, rather than be like, "Oh my God, it's Monday. The show is out on Thursday. We haven't even <laughs> watched <laughs> Thunder yet." Fuck. Um, that that's when was... that's when you know the enthusiasm has really waned. When we're going, "Oh bollocks, we need to put something out quick. What do we do?" Yeah, I, I was actually going to say to there just on the subject of getting the the cheeky chipper this evening. Um. What is your, like, you know, it's the weekend, 
this is the type of takeaway food I get and, and what's your order from said genre of takeaway? I think for me it's a Chinese takeaway. Mm. Um that'd be the, the, the favourite in the in the house between the three of us. And because Connor isn't big into spicy foods at yeah. quite yet. So yeah. I kinda have to I have to vary my order to suit his order. So we kinda share mm. So at the moment it's like sweet and sour chicken and rice and noodles and stuff. Yeah. Is the go to or like or uh, like uh sorry, I was thrown off there as a fucking banger went off to sound like a fucking gunshot. Oh yeah, it's fireworks season yeah. here in Ireland. <laughs> I don't know if this happens in every other country, but like in Ireland from about like the end of September through yeah. the first week of November, like as soon as the sun goes down, people just start letting fireworks off. Oh sorry, we yeah, we call them bangers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Like if it's not a uh, sweet and sour chicken, it's like a, a three and one or four and one with a portion of chicken balls or something, something like that. You know. Mm. I um, I don't know. Like my um, my traditional go to was always the the chipper, the mm. or as as our English friends might call it, a chippy. And they'd be wrong. Um, yeah, they would. Um, <laughs> and I would get um. I'd usually get like a fresh cod meal, so fresh cod chips uh, and a drink, and then, you know, if I'm feeling so inclined, I would uh, round that off with a spice burger. Do you uh, know what? I've never been a spice burger person. Well, you're you're absolutely wrong there. That's why and you're I, one of and I can I, monsters. I de- uh, the job I have, we deal with Granby a lot, and I can yeah. get them quite easily. And that big fan. You disappoint me. Um, for those of you who don't know, because this was something only in recent years I found out doesn't actually reach outside of Ireland, uh, the Spice Burger is a distinctly Irish delicacy, which is basically <laughs> like some kind of like low-grade sausagey meat mm-hmm. <laughs> or um, and loads of herbs and spices smashed together in a patty covered in brown breadcrumbs and deep fried. And it is delicious. Don't listen to Malone over there. He's fucking out of his mind. Um, and any of my friends who listen to the show who have traveled over from abroad, I have usually made them get a spice burger because it's you know something that doesn't get done mm. elsewhere and you need to experience it. The way a lot of people who do love the spice burger view the spice burger is how a lot of people view uh, nuggets in McDonald's in as much as you get your meal, but then you also get the nuggets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nuggets are the side piece. Yeah. So like a spice burger isn't big enough to be the meat of the meal by itself. Mm. But it's also like it's you know it's not small either. So like it is it is well, substantial I mean, enough. But you wouldn't just have a spice burger and chips unless you were some sort of freak. <laughs> uh. <laughs> they have alienating all the spice burger people that yeah, listen to the so, show. Well, you'd get you'd get whatever and chips, and then you get your spice burger as well. And it's an absolute delicacy. Up until actually, yeah, up until relatively recently, there was only one company in the entire country that had the patent on them. It was scrappy. And then yeah, that, yeah. yeah. And then um, the, the the people who had the patent originally went into liquidation mm-hmm. and I think it was bought by Granby at that stage, the patent. And I think there's other companies that make them now and call them like spicy burgers and things like that. Yeah, there's yeah, like yeah. variations on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like you said, the, the OG spice burger is all like it's a monopoly in this country. <laughs> and not every chipper does them. And it is like not, even within Ireland, there are people I know from different parts of Ireland who don't know what it is. Um, but that's that's my usual. 
Um, Here, here's one for you. Is a uh, battered sausage a distinctly Irish thing, or is that a UK thing as well? I feel like the Scots probably have... They love just battering things, so I feel they... Because I think they do battered burgers. Okay. Um, and, and I do like a battered burger as well, but that's a very rare, and that is substantial enough that you wouldn't have anything, and like it wouldn't be like you'd get your fish and chips and a batter burger. No, Jesus <laughs> Christ, like the batter burger imagine. is very heavy. <laughs> batter burger is exactly how it sounds, gang. It's like a quarter pounder patty, just coated fried yeah. in ba- in yeah. beer batter, and it's delicious. And like some places do it, is it a is it called a wordy burger where it's yes, like yes, they do yes, the yes. batter burger patty and then put it on an actual bun. burger bun yeah. with the dressing with cheese and yeah. Yeah, whereas most places the batter burger is just on its own. Um, yeah. If I hadn't already had a cheeky chipper tonight, I would be now very hungry with all that <laughs> chat. I do like a Chinese as well, though. Um, I actually had one a week or two ago, and I had what I hadn't ha- I hadn't been having. It was like the first thing I ever had in a Chinese, and then like as I got older and started trying different things, I moved away from it. But I had the uh, Chinese barbecue ribs. Ooh, always a good option. Yeah, Chinese barbecue is is pretty damn good. Um, I'm actually speaking of um, uh, Asian barbecue. I'm going to Chimac in Dublin next week. Um, Shout out to uh, Chimac uh, brand ambassador, uh, Emma G, Emma yeah, G yeah. of uh, Journeys Through Gorilla Island. Um, but yeah, I'm going there on the on the Sunday because I'm going up meeting uh, a group of our friends mm-hmm. um, that we used to go to the wrestling with on the Saturday. But on Sunday, I'm going up and doing the. This is very on brand for me. I don't have alcohol with me tonight, but um, I'm uh, going on the Teelings tour. Ah, nice next Sunday. Yeah, and then we're going to go to GMAC while we're up there, so it should be good. We've had like the voucher to go since last Christmas, but you know the world ended. Um, <laughs> I vaguely remember. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, vaguely. Um, yeah, so th- that's you know that's your takeaway corner for this week, anyway. <laughs> I feel like that's going to become a recurring bit after Alan's uh, pizza order was so well received. Yeah, I know, and like there was some debate behind the scenes here at Days of Thunder whether we should keep it in or not, but it was ultimately ruled upon by Alan Forel himself that, and we agreed that it's the most on-brand thing <laughs> in the world for the Forels to. <laughs> hijack a podcast to order food before an AEW pay-per-view yeah I think we, we we're still we're still awaiting Alan's response on if the if the pizza was actually good yeah yeah and now they've got themselves a pizza oven as well if you're not following oh, both yes, of them on Twitter right, for yeah. that content they've got an outdoor pizza oven um yeah this is our first recording since the Yuji Nagata episode um good feedback for it mm-hmm. uh, how did you how did you enjoy the not only recording the episode but watching the matches oh it's absolutely shit <laughs> I know. Look, I mean, we, I've said that on Twitter. It's one of the most fun podcasts because just talking to Alan at any time, whether it's recorded or not, it's just some of the most fun you can have when it comes to talking about wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. Or anything yeah. really. Newcastle nineteen ninety six is always a fun topic. Yeah, it, it it's fun that like when the night we talk about where we were walking home in Overhausen and we came up with the idea for the podcast, mm-hmm. and we said about the idea of guests and. Before we came down on the side of oh, on normal episodes we won't have guests. Mm-hmm. We were kind of spitballing, like who would we love to record with the most? And like, uh, Alan, Sarah, and Jamesy were the three that came up. <laughs> and we've recorded now. I suppose we haven't had Sarah as a guest, no. but we've had her like uh, hijack the show with Alan now. And we had Jamesy, of course, do the Flare episode. So to be fair, we would um, need to have a very successful Patreon to be able to afford Sarah Forrell's fee. 
yeah to afford her booking fee and the rider as well for mm-hmm. for her dressing room beforehand and the only blue m&ms and stuff like that um but you know you know know your own worth and all that um <laughs> In non-W, well, in sort of WCW adjacent news, something I wanted to mention, you haven't seen it yet, is that, well, actually, uh, did we mention, we haven't mentioned the the plane ride from hell one, have we? The Dark Side of the Ring episode. No, and let's not, yeah, because that's a fucking absolute shit yeah. show. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the two I wanted to mention, including this, are they're both very depressing. I still haven't seen the FMW one, which is, I am told, is much better mm. um, in terms of not leaving you completely bereft. <laughs> Um, I, I like honestly like after watching the plane ride from hell episode of uh, Dark, Dark Side, I just felt dirty and horrible and yeah, and I, that's I why I, like I think that's like I said like I've had a hard long week and again I just never got around to the Canyon episode, mm. but it's also that dread of knowing what the Canyon episode is. Yeah, I I think so. Like we go, I just want to mention the plane ride one first because I think it's the one that more people know the broad strokes of the story than than Canyon um, and I think it's it's we just need to note it because obviously until the very end of this podcast we're going to be discussing Flair the performer on a, on a regular mm-hmm. basis and I feel like it you know it should go without saying because I think people who've been listening to us long term enough know you know how we feel about things and you know the the stuff we said during speaking out and mm-hmm. things like that so i i don't think it'll come as a surprise to people like how abhorrent we find the the behavior that was discussed by you know particularly rick flair and scott hall who are two guys again that we're going to be talking about pretty consistently for the rest of our run um and kind of like any of these other people who involved in things like obviously um warrior with his racism and homophobia mm-hmm. and uh you know benoit with everything that happened there there's kind of like an acknowledgement on our part of that but there's kind of like i i have always thought that like with the benoit thing um it becomes um i don't know uh, what the word is that like to bring it up every time that we mention Benoit um, it, it feels like a thing that we w- I don't want it to make it feel like we're reducing the behavior by going yeah yeah we know but still you know this was awesome and stuff like that so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that's why we, we mentioned the Benoit stuff you know at seriously straight away yeah. as, as at the very beginning and I want to do the same with, with, with the Flair and Hall stuff and it mm-hmm. is like horrendous and I think you know, I was saying to you and the guys that like I had heard a good like eighty to ninety percent of everything that happened on the plane ride from hell because it was like one of those around the time both of us would have been getting online with our wrestling fandom. It was one of the big urban legends as to the stuff that happened on that flight. Um, mm-hmm. So you'd heard most of it, but I think the thing that really hit home the most was hearing from the flight attendant that yeah. was the, the subject of the abuse from mm-hmm. from Flair and and, and Hall. Um, and I think that's reopened the conversation, which is good. Um, and you know, it's one of those things where uh, I saw a lot of the kind of younger wrestling fans 
were kind of aghast because they were learning this stuff for the first time and wondering why like our, our generation and older weren't more up in arms about it at the time and I was trying to wonder that as well you know because you know we basically knew the story and my thing was you know when I tried to reflect on it was that essentially so many horrible things happen and are perpetrated by wrestlers and have been over the interceding 20 years mm-hmm. nearly that it's not like you forget but it kind of goes to the back of your mind and the framing whenever the like whenever the plane ride from hell was mentioned used to be mentioned on podcasts or you know when somebody dug up the clip from story time on the network where they mentioned it it's like being framed by people as this kind of you know all oh, wrestlers they're so wacky and crazy God, the boys will be that- boys yeah, that almost like before we had more sense to mm-hmm. just stop and actually think about the details, it was kind of like the brushing under the carpet narrative really worked on us. You know, we got worked, essentially. Yeah, and and I hate to do it, and it's, it is a cop-out excuse of it was a different world. It was... It, like, we, you, there wasn't... Like there was forums and stuff like that, but there wasn't Twitter where you were instantly yeah. engaging with people. Yeah, it, I like I was I was like twelve or thirteen when this happened. Yeah, I wasn't much older, <laughs> you know. You know and, like, yeah, and by the time that I I would have been old enough to find this like horrendous and stuff like that, not only were we years past the event, mm-hmm. but as a young teenager, I had been experiencing years of that framing it yeah. as a funny story. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that kind of like subconsciously works on you. And I, I, to the point where it's it's only when you watch a documentary like this and you hear, like I said, the really effective the, t- testimony essentially from the flight attendant that you're the, like, yeah, yeah, that was super fucked up. Like, yeah, that, that, that's what really put over the episode over the top was it really was the first time wrestling fans got to hear the flight attendant side of the story and it really yeah. it humanised the other person in the story and it, like it, it's that whole thing of if you don't know the face or you can't see the person that's affected you kind of it, it's human nature you're not going to yeah. think of it as this awful like it I'm not going to say you're not going to think of it as this awful thing but it's like it, it does give you that person. You see this person. You see how they were affected. You could see how, how affected she was even just talking about it. And it's, like you said, 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And then you see people like Tommy Dreamer talking about it. Oh, God. And like, Jesus Christ. Like, I know some people were ragging on JR as well. But, like, in my head, the way I looked at it was, like, not to let JR off. But the way I looked at it is, like, I don't think it mattered who was, like, whoever was in the talent relations role when that flight happened was going to have the same set of answers. And I don't think, like, I, you know, I was saying to you and to Chris and to, to Jeff in the chat, I was like, that guy has said way more, like, disconcerting things on commentary on live TV on TNT than he said yeah, in that that, that That is true. And I, I was kind of one of the harsher ones on JR, like, in the air group. Because I really did think he came off as cold. Yeah. But I I also agree with what you said. It was a really yeah. difficult situation for anyone to be in. In that, like, yeah. him him in the talent relation position. Uh, one yeah. thing, I, I can't remember who it was that said it, but one thing, like, this wasn't a one-off. There was multiple flights no. like this no. around that era. This, this was just the one that was 
the the worst one, the mm-hmm. one that got the most out of hand that we know of. Wasn't there you know? wasn't there one where I think it was it might have been a flight to Baghdad? And there was where Vince and Cursed shoot wrestled on mm-hmm. the plane. Yeah. Um I yeah. think somebody was legit KO'd on that one as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I you know, it would not surprise me that any of the ones where Vince was directly involved in the horse play were the ones that haven't gotten out too much because people are afraid for their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um there was also another I'm trying to think. I know they said wasn't a haze and X Pac was on the plane ride from hell. This is where uh, he cut the ponytail. Yeah, Michael Hayes got the cut when he yeah. cut. Yeah, um, but I, I know there was another story involving Hayes and another flight. And I fucking can't remember yeah. what it is off the top of your head. But yeah, like this, this wasn't a one-off situation of oh the boys yeah. got pissed and did this. Yeah, this. I mean, the thing that indicates that the most is Terry Runnels with the no sell it thing. It's like oh, the amount of shit God. that woman almost certainly had to put up with on a daily basis around those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like she basically retold the story she told um, on one of those, I think it was a kayfabe commentaries shoot about uh, uh, Brock exposing himself to her. But again, it was one of those where at the time when she did the shoot interview, she framed it as a comedic thing because I think she was like, uh, she was just slagging off his genitalia yeah, on, yeah, the sto- yeah. on the story in the shoot interview. Whereas this was kind of framed as a more accurate, like this was a horrible thing to do to somebody. Um and yeah. like, and like um, Dustin's first reaction to her is of "Don't sell it, don't sell it." It's like, oh, God, yeah. don't, don't, um, those poor women, like, honestly. Yeah, and, and like you know, they're one of the many reasons I bring it. Apart from the fact that it's a really important documentary, I think people should watch is because we have this thing of having to talk about Flair mm-hmm. and talk about um, uh, Hall, and even talk about Dustin Rhodes eventually. Um. It, it's just worth noting that, like, going forwards, please don't take any, like, review of anything Flair does as, you know, tacit approval of the man's, like, the actual man's carry-on. It, it can be tough to do the separate art from artists, especially when, like, the lines between Richard Flair and Ric Flair are so blurred. Yeah. Um. But, you know, it's just something like, you know, with the nature of this podcast, that is what we do is like we analyze what we see on the screen. And, yeah, you know, much like Benoit, don't take us reviewing a Benoit match as awesome to be tacit approval of his actions. either. And that that's know? the thing about doing retro podcasts, like whether it's yeah. fucking it could be football, it could be fucking um, hockey, anything like you're going to yeah. you're eventually you're going to come across people it's not going to be just one it's going to be multiple people that have yeah. done absolutely horrendous things whether it be uh, domestic abuse alcohol abuse mm. fucking car accidents murder, at murder anything like yeah. you know it, it it's all going to eventually come across yeah. even even like in the course of this podcast not only the flair stuff coming out even though kind of you know like we've all heard stories mm-hmm. to some level or not about flair um I think, like, you know, I was talking to to friend of the show, Ian Seaton, uh, not too long ago, um, when he was binging and catching up on the podcast, and he was talking about how, like, there are certain wrestlers we had, you know, mm-hmm. one in particular, who we loved before, and then obviously was one of the big names named in, in speaking out. And, they, like, you know, that happens. Mm-hmm. It's it's a kind of, like, it's a rough side effect of having to commit your, your takes to tape. 
and like I'm a big believer in not going out and editing like I'm not going to go back to that old podcast and edit out us praising that because that reflected our views at the time Mm -hmm. and I think to try and edit the past and the things we've said is disingenuous to the listeners as well um oh yeah like that's just and me, that you know? i i fully agree like it like what we say at the time is is that's how we felt at that time we weren't aware of whatever had gone on and what would come out and stuff like that um but yeah like i i fully agree with you like every time we bring up rick flair or scott hall or chris memo we're not gonna make the same we're not going to say like every, we don't like this guy per, on a personal basis but hell that's a hell of a figure four he put on yeah I also think like I've always also thought the one of the the worst things I, I used to see like during speaking out and, and during uh, Me Too as well were the people that would come out and just go I never liked this person anyway because I feel like that lie of you never enjoyed the person's work I, I feel undervalues the, mm. the the claims that are being made you know what i mean like it because it it almost implies that oh if you did like him you'd defend him more that no, kind of like, thing like so i feel like separate it completely it doesn't matter whether i liked the person mm-hmm. you know you know as a performer or as an artist um or didn't like the the claims that are being made against them is a completely separate issue issue so whenever i see the like you know somebody um gets called out online and somebody immediately takes the opportunity rather than to address the claims just to go well i never liked them anyway because it's almost them trying to distance themselves you know and you know wash their hands of the situation rather than engage with the the serious topic of the allegations that's just always the the way i i felt about like, it like i'm pretty sure we said this i, I could be talking for both of us maybe incorrectly but like chris Benoit was one of my favorite wrestlers of all time and as soon as what happened became apparent, yeah, cr- like absolutely crushed, like the, mm-hmm. my all of my feelings towards wrestling in total. And it took a while. It took, like I said at the start of this podcast when we started doing it, I had not watched Chris Benoit because yep. I couldn't bring myself to watch Chris Benoit. Yeah, and he's not going to be your favorite wrestler no. again. But that also doesn't mean you need to come out and say I never liked him anyway. No, that wouldn't because be that's true, and that yeah. would be divert diverting the discussion from what happened. And yeah, yeah, no, we're on we're on a similar wavelength, and that kind of follows into the following week and the the one that was on that you haven't seen yet, mm-hmm. and that's the the story of Canyon. Um, and we're huge fans of Canyon on this yes. podcast. I think we we've said it before, and I could never really elucidate why exactly. Like apart from the fact that we used to say like he's so creative, mm-hmm. uh, and he and he, he clearly gives a shit even when he's in a like a quick thunder match that he wants to do something that the fans are talking about. Like, but on the whole, mm. I found it hard to elucidate exactly nail down exactly why I love Canyon and the Young Bucks are one of the talking heads on the Canyon documentary and they have a line about how Canyon invented the American indie style years before anyone was doing it and I was like that's it nailed it, it. it's it yeah I, do you know what I hadn't heard that obviously haven't not seen it but I can totally see that progression yeah I, I exactly see yeah. where they're coming from um, for me like the thing that has stood out to me with Canyon on the show is no matter what the storyline is no matter what the match is whatever it is mm. Canyon will go out there and give 110% of yeah. effort 
do whatever he's doing, whether it's a skit with Rave and the yeah. a match with fucking the Luchador, whatever it is, like he will just give his yeah. all and go out to impress and yeah, yeah, like doing doing this podcast has been a huge revelation to me to come across Canyon like the the performer mm. the way he was, and I think that um I think the documentary is very good. There's a bit of timeline stuff that they seem to imply that the Mortis thing happened a lot sooner than it mm. did, um or that he dropped it sooner than he did. I can't remember what it was. There's some kind of like fudging the timeline there, but on the whole, I find it's it's a very, um very good documentary and the talking heads they got in it like the books and luke hawks who were like uh some of the wrestlers he really took under his wing like he seemed to be a really kind of like one of those molly holly-esque figures of behind the scenes really encouraging the next generation Mm -hmm. and wanting to work with them and put them over and uh, someone i didn't know he had a huge association with as well was brian cage okay yeah yeah, he came to, like, when Brian Cage was just coming up, he went to, like, whatever, I can't remember what Brian Cage's home promotion was, and insisted that he put Cage over. So um, When Cage was just, like, a young kid. I'm guessing because the books, Luke Hawks, Brian Cage, I'm guessing Canyon uh, was a California guy then, after his WWE career? It seems yeah. like, yeah, the a lot of the feds, like, he, he travelled around... Um, but yeah, um, he's certainly the closest with them. Like he was real, like proper, actual good friends with the Bucks. Yeah, okay. uh, even though like the Bucks were just young kids coming up. Um, there's some really harrowing stuff about like towards the end of his life, like some of the stuff that you know the Bucks were hearing him talk about. And one particular phone call he had with Matt Jackson is just fucking horrifying. Uh, the other talking head that was really interesting on it was James Mitchell who like the two of them obviously like their careers yeah. completely intertwined like James Mitchell credits Canyon with being like he would have you know been out of the business donkey's years and never gotten the chance he did were it not for the fact that he was put with Canyon and they came into WCW and you know um and he talks about Canyon's struggles you know with his sexuality and with his like his mental health and things like that over over the years and kind of you know uh, realizing in hindsight the pattern of behavior that God like if only he'd gotten help sooner or if only he'd came along a few mm-hmm. years later when everything was more kind of out in the open and he could have been himself I felt like they did they represented very well like I don't know how many people knew, know this that after his career effectively wrapped up he became a regular on Stern on, on Howard Stern okay yeah, and like because they liked having him on, they thought he they thought he was a fun guy, and you know they still covered wrestling at the time and had lots of like wrestling guests mm. and things like that. So he'd be a regular on the show, and that's where I don't know if you've ever seen the infamous segment where Ric Flair calls in a couple of days before the episode aired. Yeah. So there's also one. So I had seen I don't think I'd seen the segment, but I'd read the transcript of the Flair call where essentially like, um, Canyon ha- had always insisted that because like he that he could never feel comfortable coming out as gay as a wrestler and that WWE bullied him and targeted him because of that and that's ultimately why he was let go and Flair rang into Stern basically sent out by the company to do character assassination on Canyon and it's such a heartbreaking thing to watch because uh for those of you who don't know a lot about Canyon Ric Flair was his hero 
and having this guy call in live to the radio show and basically say Canyon was dog shit and that's why he got fired like that he you know which is like the boldest face lie is like there's no way does Ric Flair actually believe Canyon was a bad wrestler because you know say what you want about Ric Flair and we just have a few mm-hmm. minutes ago and you know uh, Manny will continue to do so including ourselves um there's no way does he not know what a good wrestler looks like and he definitely knew that Canyon was good because we all knew that Canyon was good um and the thing I hadn't seen was that similarly John Cena also called into Stern to say that Canyon wasn't good enough to make it in the business Jesus yeah and like I like I don't know if the two of them knew each other or if like seen a new Canyon from a fucking hole in the wall or Mm. was just told by Vince go on and say this guy was shit um, because this again would have been early 2000s so lord knows like seeing is not the guy to rock the rock the boat yeah. that doesn't that doesn't fucking no, excuse it doesn't. Him. Like, it's, a, it's a horrible thing to say the thing I, I thought they'd go in on more is like the stuff we we've heard like half stories about and that would be like the personal the personal bullying at the hands of the undertaker mm-hmm. um that he experienced while he was there they kind of only go into that uh one segment where he comes out with a box as boy george um and like undertaker stiffing him um, but they don't really get into like the other stuff we kind of like up in the build up to the documentary we thought oh we're going to hear yeah, a lot yeah, more about this yeah. yeah but we we didn't really not to the level I was expecting anyway with the with the hype behind it but I thought it was a really good episode because it definitely shows the like both sides of him where it's like it shows his struggles and the sad stuff like that and obviously the very sad end of his life but it also shows like what an innovator the guy mm-hmm. was and how much these young guys coming up loved him and again, like I said, Brian Cage was the real surprising one. And I bet there's like dozens more guys that we don't even know the guy was influential on. It's kind of like, you know, on the last show or the show before, whichever, it was the show before, where we were talking about Daphne. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until Daphne passed away that I realized how, how many, many yeah. women's wrestlers she mm-hmm. had been regularly in touch with and supporting and things like that. And I feel he's another one of them that was just like, you, like, <laughs> you know, uh, James Mitchell talks about like, how you know there were times where Canyon would get so frustrated with himself and so angry and be in such a spiral that like he would literally try to strangle James Mitchell in their hotel room and like even though he, even though like James Mitchell is recounting multiple occasions on which Canyon assaulted him he's talking about how Canyon is like one of the nicest people that has ever been in the business <laughs> do you know what I mean so like if if you can strangle a guy that guy will still so, say that you're yeah. a fucking saint that'll tell you you know what I mean what kind of person you're talking about um, but yeah I just wanted to mention those before we we, we move on with the show uh, very sudden change of pace here Lee we announced uh, not too long ago uh, our little pledge drive for the uh, the SoundCloud for the PWOM network and said that anybody that pledged over a certain amount would get uh, to request a show in a series that we have now decided to call TRL Thunder Request Live um, and we have five names of very very kind Thunder Buddies who nominated shows for us I have them here on a wheel of fate <laughs> Um, and what we are going to do is we are going to spin the wheel to make a deal and find out who it is uh, is going to be the first name on the uh, Days of Thunder TRL uh, special series. So let me just get this up here. Um, you ready for this, pal? Uh, I'm ready this for this. 
you're on the edge of your seat. Okay, here we go. Spinning the wheel. Dun 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 dun. dun. And the winner is. Well, it's only at Webcon sixty nine. <laughs> nice. It's a webcon, and let me just check our DMs there and see what show. I'm pretty sure I know, but just to be on the safe side. Um, I'm pretty sure I know what show this is, yeah. Yeah, so webcon has re- <laughs> has uh, requested the WCW Saturday Night Nitro House Show from 628.97 from the Forum in Los Angeles. Uh, to which there is a YouTube link, so I, I will post out the link on the Days of Thunder Twitter. So we are going to be watching that show. That's our next episode. Uh, is going to be our, our TRL episode one, um, one hour fifty six. So like it's not. I was like, oh god, it's going to be a three hour nitro. He subjected so one hour fifty six is breezy by comparison. Yeah, that's that's to not too bad. Hours. Yeah, I'll take that. Uh, so that's what we're going to be watching for our next episode, the first TRL. I'm very excited to get to this series, Lee. Oh, yeah. Can't, I absolutely can't wait because we know the shows that were selected and we are yeah. very much looking forward to inclu- including yes. this house show because this will be a yeah. total change of pace from the WCW we've seen so far. 100%. And I, I think, yeah, what, what we settled on doing was we'll just we'll announce the show before what the show is going to mm-hmm. be rather than kind of like we could have just gone these are the people and these are their shows straight away uh, but I think it keeps a, a nice bit of uh, nice bit of mystery dramatic build up yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah um, that's that let's move on my friend and actually talk about this show let's that we not. watched m- many days ago <laughs> at this stage <laughs> um, yeah let, 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 is... let's make that very clear at the beginning of this we yeah. were due to record this show, I want to say, five or six days ago. Yeah, nearly a week ago at this stage. Um, so all of these happenings are not the freshest in our minds because, let's be clear, we are not going back to watch these shows. No, you know, you're lucky that we watch them once, <laughs> really. <laughs> I think, you know, I write detailed enough notes that I think this stuff will come back to me as I, as I'm watching it, but... Also, it was not a tremendously memorable. No, it thunder. really wasn't. It, it was kind of just like your generic week after a pay per view. You know, here's the thunder for you. Like, I guess at least it didn't have the. It didn't have those. You know, those second half of a taping yeah. hallmarks that we hate. I was just gonna say it didn't have your Mike Enos match. Yeah, unfortunately, there was no Enos alert. But what the hell? Um, right. Oh, and also, um, I'm ecstatic to get into this show because I didn't follow it up with any detail. But Lee texted me when he was watching it and said, <laughs> the greatest segment in Thunder history is on this show. Now, I think I know what it is. Okay. But... It's not even a segment. Wait. It's a moment. A, a WWE trademark moment. Oh, okay. Maybe I don't know okay. what it is because there was a moment that popped me huge. Um, but I don't know if it's the same. Okay. But I, I'll, I'll just, I'll let you get to it. Okay. Um, and when we get to yours, if it's not the same, I'll tell you what mine was. Okay. <clears throat> Thunder episode forty-seven from Indianapolis, Indiana. 
dated 21st of January 1999. We open on a video package of David Flair versus Bischoff, uh, the hair versus company match from Monday, and Flair issuing a challenge for Hogan at Super Bowl. And, you know, maybe it was too optimistic for me to go, okay, maybe we won't get more David Flair matches straight away, but just David Flair is just a wrestler now. And he will be for almost the whole rest of our run here. Yep, it's the David Flair era, and it's here to stay. And it's a good year before uh, Crowbar and Daphne show up to make that act digestible. Mm -hmm. But hey, (laughs) let's do what we can. There's some major twists and turns to come in the coming weeks involving Mr. David Flair. Yeah, But what did you think as well about uh, we're going back to, to Flair versus Hogan? One of the most, like, it should be, like, always, like, a Rock and Austin level encounter, but, like, pretty much each and every time it's been done. Now, here's the thing with with Flair Hogan. I don't think they've had a proper feud since 94. Yeah. So it should be a huge thing. Like, it should be a massive deal. Flair's after beating up Hogan's boy and taking the company off him. Hogan is now the world champion again if you can get past the circumstances. This should be a huge match. But instead it's, I whipped your son, you told me to fuck off, let's have a match. Yeah. And, like, maybe I'm forgetting they might have had a pay-per-view match. I don't think they have had a pay-per-view match since, was was Havoc 94 where Flair had to retire, I think? Uh, I'll look at Um, what you're talking. Yeah, because Hogan came in at Bash of the Beach. They had a match. They had a match at Clash of the Champions. And maybe it was Fall Brawl. But I, th- I think it was Havoc where um, where Flair had to retire if he lost the match. Or it was a retirement versus retirement. It was something stupid anyway. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a match that has been done seldom enough that it should be more special than it is. But it's one that has consistently failed to deliver mm-hmm. on the for the level of name that's in it do you know and a lot of that is to do to do with the kind of like the clashing personalities and politicking mm. of one member yes. of the of this duo mister that doesn't work for me brother um yeah but yeah like this should be I, you you put it perfectly this should be the rock hogan you should remember every single one of their singles matches and I'm trying to think, did they give this away on Nitro for free one night just because? And they probably did. So there was the Steel Cage retirement match at Havoc 94. Okay, that's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, then they were um, they were both involved in, in World War Three in 95. Yeah. Hogan uh, beat him for the beat him in a title match by DQ in January 96. So pre NWO still, yeah. Um, he beat him. Uh, Ric Flair beat Hogan on Nitro in ninety six, in January ninety six. So they gave it away on Nitro twice. Yeah. Um. Then we have because I'm skipping past any multi man mm-hmm. match the two of them were involved in. They had a Clash of the Champions title match in August ninety six, which Flair won by DQ. So literally. Post torn, post winning the belt from um, the giant at Road Worlds, they went straight to a flare match. 
So what happens is, yeah, then it's there's like a couple of multi-man matches uh, where they were in like War Games '96, obviously. Whereas Team WCW versus the NWO. I don't think Hogan was in that match. He was. It was Hogan, Nash, uh, NWO, Sting, and Scott Hall uh, defeating Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, Ric Flair, and Sting. Okay, I I don't remember Hogan in that match at all. Yeah, well, according to the fine people at Cage, no, I'm not doubting. So I'm just not get on to Striga if there's something wrong with that, <laughs> as far as you're concerned. Um, and then yeah, uh, they have one match on Nitro, building up to this match at Super Brawl. Um, and then the Super Super Brawl isn't the end of this feud. No, it They're is kind not. of yes, this this feud does go on for uh, a few months. Yes, it does. Um, but this is this is probably like to to get back to your point, Lee. This is probably the most sustained period the two of mm-hmm. them have directly feuded in their like for the amount of time the two of them have been in the same company as one another. It's kind of surprising that they haven't gone to it more because it, like we said, it should be such a money match every time. Um, but it is one of those where it just feels like it also disappoints every time. Not like we're expecting fucking Flair Steamboat. But, you know, in the level of, like like you said, people should remember every single one of their big matches. I think what happened was they identified in, what, early 97 that it was going to be staying Hogan. And yeah. maybe they felt like they couldn't do Hogan Flair. Hmm. Now, I'm maybe, and also, I'm I guess, probably, you know, over, over 97, 98 is when Flair and Bischoff's relationship was yes, not well, fucked. Like. But, yeah, like... It, I'm probably giving them too much credit saying they felt like they couldn't do it. Like, it it yep. wouldn't have made much sense to have Hogan go from a fucking a mega drawn out feud with Flair into the Sting match because Sting mm-hmm. was always there. So I think yep. once they identified that Sting was going to be the guy, that it would have been hard to have Flair step up as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, we see our commentary team for the night and I gotta say Brain uh, borrowing from the uh, Paul Bearer managing Kane wardrobe <laughs> with his blood red blazer but I- I'm here for it um, they're definitely framing the Flair NWO drama front and centre but as we said again with these two names it's gotta be the big feud you push so mm-hmm. fair enough um, but they also kind of are pushing the association between Goldberg and the Horseman um, because when the NWO keep trying to attack or beat down Goldberg, the the Horsemen are the ones that come out to save him. Um, we, they they so tell yeah, us pushing that association. They tell us about that at the start of the show, but never show us any footage. No, no. They so they want you to know it's important, but don't intend to do anything with that mm-hmm. information tonight on the program. So don't listen to that bit I've just said now and expect there's going to be a big uh, Goldberg angle on this and to show. To be honest, if they hadn't said at the top of the show, I would have had no memory of this. Yeah, but also like, you know, how much, you know, God, there would be like good money in like a Goldberg, Flair and Benoit versus Hogan and the Outsiders six man on a pay-per-view. Do you know, like, like you they, could really they just had, do. They just had sold out. And yeah. like, that's where you do a match like that as if not the main event, yeah. the semi-event. Yeah, uh, that would be huge. Um, we go to the back for the running angle of the night, and that is the the NWOB team. And I've got to say, look, right, this stuff wasn't good 
per se in a like successful wrestling company sort of way, but in a very Days of Thunder way. I loved this. Oh stuff. yeah! Oh, oh, <laughs> don't get me wrong. In in the sense that it makes it easy for us, this was great. Yeah. I, oh, it's I'm fantastic. Looking at it in a contrast to AEW in 2021 has hmm. Rampage on TNT on a Friday night, mm-hmm. and my God, is it one of the best things in the history of wrestling? If you talk about a killer hour, it's fucking fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have WCW at its fucking peak, <laughs> peak in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, and they are doing this with their t- two hours of TV. They're doing B team skits for the night. Vincent, Stevie Ray, and Horace Hogan are the focus of this I'm, episode. I'm Brian Adams. I'm Brian Adams. To be fair to him. Yeah. Yeah, they are the main characters of Thunder this week. They have, I would say, like a cumulative screen time that's three or four times longer than anybody else. Do you remember where Ric Flair challenged Triple H for the title on Raw in like 2003? And he tells the story of, you know, I got to the the, uh, the arena and they told me I was in 11 segments of like the 16 segments. That's what this was, except it's Vincent's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Vincent in particular is the main character of Thunder this week, which is absolutely shocking. Um, But essentially, the story of this show is that three years into the run of the NWO nearly, the B-team finally realise they're the B-team. Yeah, Stevie Ray is leading the revolt of going, I'm sick of this B-team shit. Yeah, they have beef, basically. Stevie... Uh, you know is it's notable that he's not wearing the NWO mm-hmm. shirt and they're complaining about him not wearing the shirt and he's complaining about them being left out of things so in fairness in one you know in one way we can you know compliment that it's something they were consistently doing on the show that this just didn't come out of nowhere mm-hmm. because since the NWO and the Wolfpack merged there has been this running angle of that, like the B team haven't been kept in the loop yeah. now that all the buddies are back together and they aren't traveling together. Uh, as of like, So this has been building. So I will give them that much credit. Now building to, you know, drama that I don't care for because they are the B team, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, they're being, compla- they're complaining about uh, being left out of things. And I love the Right. So this is the moment of the show for okay. me. Right. So Vincent receives a letter. Right. Which I'm pretty sure he pulls out of his back pocket, does he not? Yes, he does. Pull out of his back pocket. Pocket. To read this letter, he decides he's going to stand up on the table. And when he stands up on the table, <laughs> he puts his head through the roof. <laughs> and that was a shoe. <laughs> I guarantee that was a shoe. One of the like the foam ceiling tiles, he puts his head clean, like bumps into it and just like then ducks and like meekly gets down back off the table. And every single one of the other guys in the room nearly yeah. corpses. <laughs> Particularly like Stevie Ray does the thing he does in that, you know, that infamous uh, Booker T promo where he says the mm-hmm. thing to Hogan. He does the thing that uh, he did in that where he just like strokes his mouth yeah. and his chin so that you can't see him smile. He, he stiffens and, up like, like he just, yeah. I think is it Brian Adams just turns away from the camera as well just to not laugh. And oh my God. I just, I, you know, I wasn't paying attention to anything they said for the rest of this. It was just like once he put his head into the ceiling tile, I was like, right, I'm yeah. done. <laughs> huh. 
Right, our opening contest on Thunder is Jerry Flynn versus Disco Inferno. Uh, Disco is out in the Wolfpack colours despite still not actually being a member of the NWO and the commentator is going I'm pretty sure no one ever said he was in um, so we don't know what this yeah, is Yeah so about. the last time we saw him he'd been sent to the back by Hall to go, go yeah. see Hogan and Nash Yeah and no, no official announcement ever came from the NWO the commentators are keen to point out uh, Disco is in trouble early where the big man is just doing some big strikes to the point where like 30 seconds in I thought this was going to be a squash <laughs> Um, I am putting out that plea again to any wrestlers within the sound of my voice. Please steal the Jerry Flynn corner spin the, kick. The spin kick, yeah. It is the fucking coolest thing. Like, I don't give a fuck about Jerry Flynn. God bless him. But my God, this kick is I amazing. love it, yeah. Someone's, it doesn't even have to be your finish. Although, like, you probably could make a cool finish out of it. Like, it's just awesome. I love it so much. Um, somebody make a GIF and send it to us so that I can retweet this to let wrestlers know that this needs to be stolen. Uh, at all wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. Yes, at wrestlers. Uh, <laughs> this and, like we've said before, the... The Russian leg the sweep. Raven yeah. rolling Russian leg sweeps. And wasn't there... Was there another spot? Was there a Perry Saturn spot? Uh, oh. Um, I know we talk about Perry Saturn's gorgeous his, splash yes his splash in his elbow but, um oh yeah yeah what was the what's was it there's definitely a third one that we, that we love on the show uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll come across it yeah yeah so anyway uh disco has to bail out of the ring to get some breath uh flynn tries to drag him back in but his, his neck gets hung up on the ropes uh that gives disco the heat boots in the corner double axe handle off the top um I oh God, I felt so bad at this moment. So Tanay mentions that on Monday night, now with a Scott Hall assist, mm-hmm. you know, that's the caveat, Disco beat Rath. Yes, he did. Oh, how the marginally mighty have fallen. <laughs> Poor Rath. I mean, like I said, ever since the, the Nash loss, he's just been absolutely yeah. lost. And just goes back to what we've said before, is that like the dismount from a winning streak, it's the killer. If, if, there, if there's no plan... You're just going to slide and slide and slide because people aren't going to care anymore. Yeah, poor Rath. Um, so, uh, Jerry Flynn gets back on top for a while, uh, but he misses a pump kick into the corner. Disco hits the chart buster, wins. Uh, and Tony does note, which, you know, it is worth noting, even though, like, I didn't give a shit about this match, that the crowd kind of, like, this angle of him begging to be in the NWO is kind of getting Disco over. Mm-hmm. Like, the crowd were really, like, into Disco here. It's amazing what happens when you put an NWO shirt on somebody. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, we Back to the B-team conference room now, where Scott Norton... Oh, yeah, we forgot Scott Norton was here as well. And Scott Norton just learning how walkie-talkies work. Yeah, Scott Norton's big idea was to go get walkie-talkies and him and Horace stand next to each other and talk into them. Yeah, it has to be explained to Scott Norton that, of course, you can hear me. You're standing right in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) So he sends Horace outside the door and proceeds to go, can you hear me? (laughs) Yeah. And then he Scott it explains that he wants Horace to patrol outside the back of the building for when Hulk and the the A team uh, show up and to radio in. And I was like, okay. And then I paused for a second and I thought, 
It's 1999. Cell phones exist. Yes, they do. <laughs> but this was when my moment of the night, moment of the show, all happened. Okay. Because he sends Horace out. And just as the segment is ending, Stevie Ray in the background goes, walkie-talkies, I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> I don't miss that completely. <laughs> and I was just like, so hang on, I, I, I had to rewind it because I was sure no way that Stevie Ray used the term flabbergasted in 1999. But he did. He did. Tremendous. Uh, we're back from the break and Vincent finally remembers that he does in fact have a phone. Uh, he calls Hulk, gets voicemail, and then he calls Kevin. Stevie says that he calls bullshit because he dialed the phone way too quick. There's no way is he actually mm-hmm. calling them. And he goes, no man, I got him on speed dial. And then coincidentally at that moment, Horace radios in that they're here. Um, he goes over to the limo to say hello to Hogan and he gets punched in the face. It turns out it's the horseman in a limo that has wolf pack plates on it. Clever. Uh, <laughs> which, uh, but can I just say that that decoy, it, 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 it conf- like it, it tricked Horace successfully and it certainly tricked Tony Schiavone. He was perplexed. But I was like, oh, there is, that, that limo has wolf pack plates. <laughs> Maybe he thought they were all in the wolf pack now. Yeah, he's like, oh, God, now the horseman as well. Uh, next up, we have Flair walking out with a baffled Gene Okerlund running after him to the ring. Uh, he addresses the outsiders. And then what's funny is he makes a, a pro- proclamation officially stripping the outsiders of the tag team titles that not only did I not know they had, but they didn't have. Because they mentioned who actually was the last tag team champion in the next match. In, oh, well, in the next match. The match from, uh, in one uh, of the next matches, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he strips them of the tag titles that they didn't have. And then in a, in a moment that made me nearly throw my laptop out the window, he announces that they're restarting the fucking tournament. <laughs> Dave, uh, I'm going I'm to say this now. Yeah. Nobody in this company knows what they're doing. No, they, they, not even slightly. They started to, to, not even in storyline, the babyface president. They started the tournament two weeks ago. Yeah. No matches got successful finishes. Now, now they're restarting the tournament. Later on in the show, they say it's a double elimination tournament. Yeah. So has the tournament all along been double elimination? I don't know. They certainly haven't mentioned Has everyone got one loss now? Or like... I'm so confused. And yet they're saying it'll all be wrapped up by the end of Super Brawl. Yeah. How is it a double sure. elimination tournament by Super Brawl? We got group stages. It's like the Champions League, man. Um, next up, he wants to address Thunderlips Hogan, which got me. Uh, he says, for 20 years, Hogan has kept him another great talent in his shadow. He says that uh, he put in the hours with the boys on the road, but Hogan just wanted the glory and the fame. Hogan couldn't carry his jock strap. He says guys like Jericho grew up wanting to be him, not Hogan. And then he reiterates that two men will enter at Super Bowl and only one man will leave. And if you cut out all the David Flair shit and all the terrible booking around this, this is the promo to set up a match like that. Yeah, it, it, it felt like... Flair's, you know, I was one of the boys, I put in the work, I'm a wrestler. 
you were the celebrity came from a very real place yeah it's like do you know what it's like a cup it's a few years too early for the kind of feud you, you would get like in the you know mid to late 2000s of like i'm a wrestler you're a sports yeah, entertainer yeah. that's that's the like that's the tone and that's always a, you know that's a tone that's going to strike a chord with a, like segments of fans Espe- especially um, if you want flair to be the baby face that's the promo to cut uh, the B team finally find Horace's dead body and pick him up. Uh, Norton walks. It, this is also a moment of the night. Norton walks into frame and then, in a like disturbingly high pitched voice for how gruff a man he normally is, does a "Where's your walkie-talkie?" <laughs> All the while, Vincent is gone. Where's your shirt? <laughs> yeah. So like. Norton has more investment in the fate of the walkie-talkie than the beaten half-to-death Horace Hogan. Nobody cares about Horace. No, certainly not his uncle, anyway. Um, Backstage from Monday, as JJ has to listen to Jericho moan about Saturn only wearing the dress for one night at the pay-per-view. And he's complaining so much that, that Saturn basically begrudges to take the dress back. Jericho says that... He had written it into the match contract that he has to wear. Is it for a month he has to wear the dress? I think it just said that at all times or something like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that leads into our next match, which is Al Green versus Perry Saturn. Um, I'll tell you what. Even Al though, Green is a fucking well, tank. Isn't he? Yeah, built like a brick shithouse, man. Um, even though in that segment they just showed us from Nitro. They made a big deal about the leopard print dress and how Perry Saturn had like thrown it in the bin. Mm-hmm. Perry apparently just went out and bought himself a skimpy red number in the meantime. <laughs> so was the idea that he just like, he's like, whatever about the dress guys, leopard print just isn't he, He's like trying to find his style, yeah. Yeah, so it's proper, like, it's a proper form-fitting dress he's got on, like, not much left to the imagination from young parents. Um, and the, the running kind of like, um, you know... Green is trying to embarrass very, him. Yeah. yeah, very like 90s Jerry Springer yeah. era humor of this is that the dress keeps riding up during the match, which Tony says is causing him a problem, uh, which cues Brain to say, dresses always cause me problems, haha. <laughs> uh, which popped today. Today had to hit the cough button at that stage. <laughs> Um, we had some big power moves. Like I feel like there's a good version of the Perry Saturn Al Green match where they're just hoofing each other around the ring. But unfortunately, Perry is obliged every thirty seconds or so to do doofy comedy with the yeah. dress. And like doofy comedy, you know, as unfortunately we would see a lot in WWF, is not what Perry is best at. Um, no, Perry Saturn is really good at kicking people in the head and doing moves off the top rope. I don't know if you've realized this. Yeah. Uh, so we had things like Al pulling up the dress or uh, Perry doing the 10 punch with Al's head under stuck dress, under the yeah. dress, which did get a huge reaction. Uh, and Saturn wins with, with a Death Valley driver. Um, not really much else to say about that. We did, uh, what was what was nice was then we got a super cut of the At Home with the Ravens segments, which we haven't seen the last one or two of. Uh, great excuse to see James again. Uh <laughs> And we do get the kind of like the cliffhanger of the segment so far, which is they're uh, rooting around in like his mom's closet or something like that. And they find a bunch of Roddy Piper 8x10s. Yeah, so is Dun dun dun. Is the thing supposed to be that Raven was obsessed with Piper as a kid? 
or is it that you know Piper might have had something to do with his upbringing? I don't know. Like I, uh... there are there are implications that Raven didn't know those photos were there, or those I thought it was that there. Raven had hidden them there. That was the implication oh. I got. Oh, okay. So we're put it this way: they're building towards something that never delivers. Something I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> so we let's find out uh, if they ever like that. That also might be it. You know, this is WCW. That might be the last that we ever hear on us. <laughs> uh, next up, we have a match that I know you were hyped for, my friend, and that's Glacier versus Kenny Chaos. Yep, it's a match that happens on this show. Yeah, so Kenny Creatine returns to action here <laughs> in an incredibly thunder matchup. I tell you what, I tell you what, this was the match where I sat back and I went, you know what, Glacier was shit. Yeah, this is like. He had that one Goldberg match where, like, oh, maybe there's yeah. something to this guy, and ever since it's like nothing. nothing. Oh, God, <laughs> disappointed every single time. Yeah, um, but yeah, this is classic Thunder in as much as bell rings and immediately the commentators stop talking. God, they couldn't match. give a single <laughs> fuck. Um, fuck all happening in the ring. Um, just talking about the B team and what was going on with them. But Tony does confirm that actually it was uh, Rick and uh, Kenny. Kenny Creatine. Rick Steiner and Kenny Creatine were the tag team champions, not the outsiders. But uh, Rick hurt his shoulder, and that's why he hasn't been on. I TV. totally missed that. Yeah. I knew they were because it was Rick and Judy, Judy yes. Bagwell. But then Chaos uh, st- uh, stepped up to help him defend, and that's why High Voltage broke up over that. Um. So, yeah, Chaos wins with a springboard clothesline, which is just an unusual finisher. Um, and then he shouts out his boys in New Hampshire. And he does throw a shout out to Robbie Royd as well. Did he? Uh, into the camera, yeah, as the, as we cut to the break. Um, maybe, then, maybe we're getting that highly anticipated uh, Royd Rage reunion. Oh, yeah. High voltage explodes at Super Bowl, maybe. Don't hold your breath. Um... We have the B-team fuming in their locker room now. Vincent rallies the troops to go fight the horsemen. But when he leaves, this is like this is the most dumb, like... Like, so just assuming the people watching this show are idiots and having to spell everything out to him is that, like, as soon as they leave, he takes off the NWO Hollywood shirt to reveal a Wolfpack shirt. I was like, you don't have to be that fucking obvious about it. Um, then we go to break and come back, we, we sh- and it's the B team. We should again. say Vincent struggled badly to take off the original black yeah. and white shirt. It's the most effort we've ever seen him put on uh, <laughs> uh, 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 in WCW. Um, the B team are here again. Then Vincent, by himself, follows after in the Wolfpack shirt. The lads have the big "what the fuck" faces as they see the shirt on him. Uh, Vincent then right this is the thing so Ric Flair is babyface president and has control of WCW Bischoff NWO don't have control at the moment so Vincent randomly declares with no authority that Horace and Adams will be in the tournament I think he says they're going to be the, <laughs> Which, the like, black I and would... white representatives now the... yeah but I would think after the way that the tournament went last time that you would ban the NWO completely. Did uh, like Aaron Anderson go around all the locker rooms and slip a note under the door going, "You're in, fucking, yeah. <laughs> fucking Wonka golden ticket." Like going, "We want you in this tournament." Like fucking Jesus yeah. Christ! Like, and then not only that, then he just starts making matches for the show. 
he challenges uh, the horseman to a six-man tag with him, Stevie, and Norton. And then he finishes off the segment by telling the lads that the shirt don't mean nothing. <laughs> right, oh? Yeah, it's it's fucking strange. Actually, speak... Absolute bollocks. It's like, it's pretty much, like, it just smacks of, like, because obviously Nash is still Booker. And I was like, this smacks of Nash wasn't arsed figuring out how to get from point A to point B. So just, just go like, with went, it, yeah. Fucking Basil exposition here. Let him just get to the match. Um, I mentioned there. Speaking of Aaron, what did you think of uh, armed and the armed oh, and dangerous Anderson? Fucking Glock yeah. Anderson. I cried. I held. I fucking held watching the promo. Oh my god! And he's already got the T-shirt with the like it's the Sopranos yeah. with the gun that just says Aaron. Oh, I was tempted to buy it. So what a man, Aaron. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, listen. Like the fact that he was absolutely burying Cody ten uh, feet beneath the earth has been lost by the fact that he's basically admitting to being a serial killer. I love Taz. Was well, I think it was Taz in commentary that says, "I have no doubt Aaron has bodies in his past, but not at the hands of a gun." <laughs> Aaron Anderson in one promo immediately a considerably more plausible serial killer than Dexter Loomis. I just want to see Aaron give somebody a thumbs up backstage <laughs> yeah next up we had Norman Smiley versus Booker T and I rubbed my hands together because I was like right this is going to be a nice like oasis with a bit of decent wrestling and you know we've said it before mm-hmm. on the show Lee it, well firstly it's great to see Booker yes but something we say every time we see him is that this man's look and gear are world championship mm-hmm. level what the fuck are they waiting around for? How is it nearly a full... No, it's more than it's a year full and a half, year, isn't it? A year and a half from now. A year yep. and a half before they put the belt on him for the first time. I would have strapped the, ra- stra- uh, strapped the rocket to this guy in 98. I am absolutely doing it now. If I'm I don't think he gets the there. US title until like March or April 2000. Oh my God. It's a fr- By the way, did you see Booker's tweet today? No. Oh my God, Booker! So WWE were doing this, uh, you know, engagement kind of thing on their social media account, and it's like, what's one WWE a match from WWE history that you would change the result of? And Booker teaches quote tweet and did the side eyes emoji. Oh my God! <laughs> it's like what? A well, king. I don't know, Dave. I don't know if you know this, but people like him never win. Oh my God! I gotta say, like. Do you know, obviously, I, I've been a wrestling fan since I was six years old. And, do you know, the last couple of years, I, I don't really care, like, with WWE mm-hmm. because I don't, like, I'm not an active WWE fan. I tune in for big shows or if somebody says it was a classic match or mm-hmm. something like that. I have no emotional investment and I haven't for, like, yeah, two or yeah. three years at this stage. But I don't recall ever being more fucked off about the finish to a big WrestleMania match in my time watching than I was at Booker T. Because again, as somebody who was a WCW fan mm-hmm. and knows just how good that guy was, I was so happy. Because again, like, you know, we talk about the blatant racism of Triple H in that angle, even though he himself doesn't want to admit it. But because they were so heavy handed about that, you were like, well, Booker's oh, obviously. Oh, so it has to feel good moment, yeah. Yeah, Booker's coronation is happening. No. 
and it was in the middle of yeah. the show and he did that thing was it like 30 oh, seconds he, like, he, he, he hit the pedigree, pedigree and then he just like slowly crawled I think it was like a legitimate like 25 seconds or something it was ridiculous yeah. god so mad still about that, that, anyway. that like again I was on the verge of being a fucking online fan like I was aware of new stuff but I wasn't like on forums or shit anything like that yeah just reading your Paris yeah one. basically and um that was one of those moments where I just came out and I was like this is absolute bollocks because the whole build had been Booker does get his moments and then, oh, and then, and then I think he went straight from that into the fucking Goldust tag team, didn't he? Yeah. Which again, great oh, value in terms of entertainment, brilliant. but not where that guy needed no. to be. Like the the Booker T and Goldberg review of Scorpion King, one of my all time favorite Raw <laughs> segments. <laughs> like right up there with Booker T in the the supermarket with Austin oh, in terms of comedy it. segments yeah. involving Booker. But um, you know that's not where I want that guy to be. You know. Anyway, um, when this match starts, Brain uh, kindly requests that Tony start pronouncing his name correctly. Norman's I, I'm name. convinced. And Tony yeah, I'm to. convinced at this point that it is just a bit to piss off Tony. Yeah, but what I love about it is um, that he goes, look, you don't see Norman walking around here calling you Shavuni. <laughs> just an absolutely <laughs> great line. So Tony Shavuni wasn't enjoying that. Um, Smiley working the leg to stop Booker's explosive moves early. Uh, oh, I don't know. Whenever I see stuff like that happen, just I always think of Jamesy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good limb work happening here. Um, Tony confirms the uh, news from backstage that the Dorks have accept, uh, have had their offer accepted by the Horsemen for the six man tag tonight. Um. Norman, because you know he's starting to, he's like he's still in that kind of like the wiggle is getting mm-hmm. over, but he's still sort of he's a teasing heel. It. Yeah. So he's he's teasing the wiggle, but then begs off and says, "No, no, it's not time. You haven't earned it," which gets a big boo. Uh, Norman does his scoop slam, and because Booker is a considerably bigger man than the man he's been slam the men he's been slamming lately, he nearly lost yes. him on it. But like at the same time, to get him back and finish the slam, incredible core strength and. I think it gets a bigger pop from the announcers than it does the crowds. The announcers are really into the smiley slam. Yeah. Well, I am too. Oh, it's a great move. I I wish he'd teach it to somebody in the PC. Yeah. By and large, this match, though, is just like good, solid professional wrestling. Like, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I was just enjoying two really smooth, good workers get in there and have a really good TV match. Yeah. Um, It's not a match I'm going to recommend people watch, but... No. If you were, again, if they wanted to show this to people in the PC of a good, solid TV match, there you go. Yeah, it felt like a contest. There was good moves involved in there. Crowd. It felt like, you know, this WCW crowd, which loses mm-hmm. focus at the drop of a hat, felt like they were engaged for the whole thing. Um. So, yeah, really good. Some good near falls as well. Uh, Booker really starts to gain momentum after he does his 110th Street Slam. We get a kick out. He takes Smiley outside, beats him pillar to post, at which point Smiley just washes his hands of it, saying, you can't beat me, and just takes the count out, walks up the ramp. So, like, a little disappointed with the finish. Um, But, look, if it is an excuse to get these two guys wrestling more frequently on TV, I'll take a little oasis of a really solid professional wrestling match. Um, So, yeah, I, I hate count out finishes, but... 
fuck it like on this one occasion if it means more matches I'll take it um, flashback to Scott Steiner interrupted this was creepy 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 yep. creepy cre- in the words of Nick Kroll once creepy creepy creeps um, flashback to Scott interrupting the Nitro girls and harassing them he confronts Kimberly in particular then later where the creepy 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 really starts is when he crashes into the Nitro girls locker room uh, and you know kind of basically stands in the doorway not letting Kimberly leave and telling her that he's giving her an opportunity to be with a real man uh, then like after the break they immediately replay the replay which I thought was weird mm-hmm. um, and they mention that you know at this time DDP was not at Nitro he was opening the Nitro bar and grill in Las Vegas then we have the restart of the tag tournament now, our rules for the tag tournament, Lee, have been that we need to come up with names for every oh, tag fuck. team in the tournament. I forgot about it. <laughs> now, I've, I've only been able to do this for one of the teams this week, so I'm hoping you might help me with the second team. So we have uh, Adams and Horace with Virgil, the team that I have dubbed half arsed <laughs> Because it is a half arsed team from the half-arsed part of the NWO. Horace is a half-arsed wrestler, and Adam's finish is the one-arsed cheek pile driver. So I think half-arsed is a good name for that team. Versus Kidman and Chavo. That classic tag team. Who have been feuding. that classic tag team. And I could not come up with a name for the two of them. Okay, well... Do you? I'm sure you do. You're a Simpsons fan, so you will remember the uh, the boxing episode where Mo trains Homer, and he's yeah. going through all his old uh, photos where he's kid gorgeous. Then yeah. kid, uh, oh, what, what, there was fucking loads of them. Kid gorgeous, kid presentable, yeah. kid gruesome, and then finally kid Mo. <laughs> <laughs> so, in honor of kid Mo, I yeah. think we go with kid botch. Because we got Kidman. Kid Botch. Are they going to say Kid Vo? <laughs> no, Kid Botch. Because Chavo. Oh, we call them, we call them Belviv Kid Vo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, God. I mean, you want to talk about a match that is just like, why? Of all the people you have on this roster, all the tag teams you have on this roster, these are the two teams you put out to relaunch your tag team yeah. tournament. Yeah. Couldn't do like Kidman and Ray. That would absolutely, they eventually three years la- or two years later, come back to Kidman and Ray as the cruiserweight tag mm-hmm. champs. But they couldn't do it in 99 when it really would have lit up this tournament. Anyway, Horace starts all up in Kidman's face. Uh, big Horace sucks chant for the man who on his boring black singlet has now written in chalk H-bomb. Yep. Uh, a Chavo hot tag on Horace. Why God, why? <laughs> I will say in this hot tag, Chavo does do an enormous sunset flip, which looked cool. Like <laughs> to the point where his flip nearly landed him outside the ring. He went that high up in the air. Um, the crowd do love the teamwork between the two lads. Uh, Stevie distracts the ref. Vincent uses the slap jack on Kidman and Adams wins. And I was incensed at why Kidman had to eat the yes. pin and not Chavo. Why? why did you pin your Cruiserweight champion? 
I know he got slapjacked, but still, you know, fucking hell. Just switched him out. Um, Could like, ah, fucking, it's, it's so dumb. And even though they won then, Stevie is mad that Vincent stole his slapjack. Uh, Chavo and Kidman, because of this two elimina- double elimination tournament, they have one more chance to win or they're out. And again, this was the first time it was mentioned as a mm-hmm. double elimination tournament, I think. Like, after they'd already lost. So I thought they were out. And then when Tony said that, I was massively confused. Anyway, the dorks reconvene backstage. Uh, and Vincent says he got a slapjack from Stevie's bag. He also claimed that a shirt's a shirt. That he gave his black and white one to a kid. And just picked the up next one, yeah. this one. Yeah, I love the idea that it's like that Pepsi ad, you know, where somebody just said, Vincent! No, it's, it's a Brit ad. Yeah, but wasn't that a takeoff of a Pepsi ad with like a football oh, maybe, player? Oh, maybe, maybe, yeah. I want to say. Um, but yeah, same deal. Where it's like, Vincent, and he throws the shirt at him. Um, next up, uh, we have La Parca versus Rey Mysterio. Rey comes out in an LWO shirt. I thought they had been forcibly disbanded. What the fuck? But this, this, So it's just now, now it's retro. It's Rey is being rebellious. Yeah. Oh, right. Against babyface Ric Flair. Uh, one of my spots of the night straight away in this match was Laparca catching Ray on a crossbody and stru- then doing the yeah. strut while holding yeah. him. Tremendous stuff. Uh, Ray using his speed advantage with the dives, dodges, and head scissors uh, all over the place. Laparca is just a tremendous base for that kind of stuff. Just uh, as a and I tell you what, Laparca was fired up. Yeah, he was. He was really, mm-hmm. in, he was really like motivated for this one. We had a tremendous counter by La Parca. So Ray attempts to jump up onto his shoulders into the uh, the head scissors, Hurricane uh, yeah. Rana. Yeah, and uh, La Parca just nope. says, "No, fuck this!" And electric chair drops him. Great stuff. Uh, they mentioned that Lex and Nash are threatening to remove Ray's mask. Uh, La Parca goes for a diving thing, but Ray gets his feet up first. Uh, Ray dodges and oh my god so Laparca do- tries to do this running spear into the mm-hmm. corner and the man nearly broke the sound barrier with how fast he was running because like Ray dodges and the man goes into the ring post and nearly out yeah, of the he ring fucking, he, he's running y- you want to talk about posting yourself Jesus Christ he was fucking that's what I mean by he was fired up he was doing all he could for Ray in this match yeah Ray gets up on the rope but gets crotched Laparca tries again uh, gets dropped toe-holded. Laparca hits a spine buster. He goes for a moonsault, but gets crotched. Uh, Ray does like a spinning body scissors slash La Mystica bulldog It's situation. like a, yeah, around the world kind of head scissors type thing into a bulldog. Yeah, to, to win the match. Uh, good action. I yeah, good action. It. Weak finish. Yeah. Uh, so then we have Gene with DDP. Um, and I gotta say, much as we love DDP, an all-timer ugly shirt with this, with like a big spray-painted yeah, bulldog. Big, awful, awful t-shirt. Gene asks about Scott Steiner and uh, says the very dodgy line of, she's a very attractive woman, but this is too far. <laughs> he- and, but I did, en- I did enjoy that DDP says, look, brother, I know she's an attractive woman. <laughs> I think Gene three times puts over how attractive Kimberly is. Yeah. Um... I really like this DDP promo. So he says these this kind of thing with jerks getting up in Kimberly's mm-hmm. face happens every day, but he gets choked up like as he's talking about it happening on Monday because he wasn't yeah. there. Uh, when he saw it on TV, 
saying it like it's one thing when she tells him about it and he can't see it but when he sees it happening on national tv to say he was mad as hell is an understatement she said uh she said to him that she's gonna handle it and he says i don't think so he calls steiner a muscle-bound geek and said if you're steiner if you're looking for a freak your hookup Mm -hmm. is right here he said, if he so much as breathes the same air as Kimberly again, it's on and he knows it's on. Sometimes in this business we get real and that's a fact. Just an emphatic promo. And I like I'm psyched for this match already. I really wish they hadn't done the literal sexual yeah. harassment angle on Monday. But like a fired up page promo, a single one of those can get me into a feud. And it, this did the business for me. It was a little on the shooty shooty side, but yeah, no, this worked. Yeah. Yeah, the bit about getting real was a little bit too close to the fourth wall. But like on the whole, like the mm-hmm. passion oh, yeah. and the anger 100%, was like, there. Was and, but of course, people will say, oh, well, he practiced it all day. And that's the knock on DDP. Yeah, nah, bollocks. Mm-hmm. I love DDP. Um, we go back to the geeks and Vincent now proudly announces please call me Vince he says that they don't give a fuck and they just leave this and this is just like bizarre like this is like a fucking Tim and Eric sketch or something like this that is just like completely weird so they leave he's just walking around he opens up a locker takes out a pint glass full of raw eggs tries to drink them spits them back out then he notices they're being filmed. So he gets up and he's talking into the camera and he's like, hey, we're being filmed. We're being filmed over and over again. And the camera slowly pans out from a monitor where they're being watched from the limo by the the, the NWO mm-hmm. team. Hogan, Nash and Buff, they've been watching the whole time from the limo, which is brilliant because like, obviously Thunder is being broadcast on national television at that moment. So, in kayfabe, what this implies is that Hogan is willing to spend enormous amounts of money for a surveillance apparatus rather than just watch Thunder on TV. I was just going to say, well, the WCW (laughs) camera gets all access anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great stuff. Anyway, Buffer is here, so it's time for the six-man tag. We've got Vince, Stevie, and Norton versus Benoit, Flair, and Mongo. Um, I was just going to say, what do you think of uh, Stevie Ray's Beetlejuice outfit? kind of like it <laughs> if you say his name three times will he appear yeah it kind of just it, it's a little bit too close to uh when ed leslie was doing the mm-hmm. zodiac for me but uh i like it um i was kind of surprised that they're giving aware like i know it's a six-man tag and it lasts fuck all time but i'm kind of surprised they're giving aware flair flair technically wrestling uh on thunder i'm guessing it this is like a double you- taping and they needed something to sustain them into the second hour probably uh, I, I hated Buffer's introduction even more than usual because everybody who came out appeared to be the master of something. Fuck off. That's Vincent, the master of um, the Olive Garden. <laughs> God, living the dream. <laughs> uh, everybody, including me, doesn't care about this match till Flair comes in and just starts beating Vincent around. Match breaks down. Ric Flair almost immediately locks in the figure four and wins. Yeah. And then, you know, in the culmination of the whole B-team angle from the show... Um, the lads just are like you know what fuck you Vince we're not coming to save you so the horsemen just get to beat the crap out of Vince as the show goes uh, yeah. as the show goes off the air so the match was a big yawn nothing really 
you know, at least it was a finish. I, d- I, I did like Bobby, you know, which is Bobby unusual. saying that uh, Flair should have kept the figure four on him and broke his knee. Yeah, fair play. Um, right, so we've come to the end of the show. It was a, a, a breezy one, in fairness, to try and discuss. Like, it moved quickly enough. But uh, what are your overall thoughts on the show, Lee? And what your, who are your winners and losers? Again, if my television product is at its... Well, coming down from its peak, I would not be spending two hours building to a Vince tap out in you know the middle of a ring, spending however many segments on B Team NWO. But again, from our perspective, I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I thought this was an easy watch. Like we've had some bad thunders recently. This was fine. Yeah, uh, this was a one sitting. Yes, one hundred percent for me. Um, DDP's promo, very good. I thought La Parka Ray was the best match on the show. And when when you include yeah. a Norman Smiley Booker T solid match, that's a good show. Like, really for a Thunder, like it's on the it's in like probably the upper mm-hmm. third of Thunders we've watched because we got actually two very good TV matches. You know, they weren't long, mm. but they were decent. Um and yeah, winners and losers. Uh winners. I thought La Parka looked fucking fantastic. Um, yep. DDP like you said the promo again I didn't like the shooty shooty stuff but again it's that fucking mm. straight away you're invested in what he's doing um, yeah. Booker but, I mean we've said it so many times Booker looks like a fucking star he's there he's ready yeah. um, like I know the guy ends up being you know a five time five time and all that like but this guy he should have been so much bigger of a star mm-hmm. than he was um, losers I thought again Comedy Perry Saturn, not the way I'd go. Yeah. Glacier, I've lost all fucking interest in ever seeing Glacier on the show again because yeah. he's uh, just so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rat, in as much as he, one, he's not on the show, and two, the only time he was mentioned Losing, was that he yeah. lost Disco. Yeah. yeah. Um, your finish counter, brought to you by Ludwig Borger, has this show with seven matches, five clean finishes, one count out, and one interference leading directly to a finish. So not bad in mm-hmm. terms of the clean finish ratio there. That's pretty good for them. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for listening to an- another episode of Days of Thunder. We'll be back in two weeks with our first Thunder Request Live special talking about that uh, Saturday Nitro house show for which we will be tweeting out the link for you all to watch and enjoy. In with, with our special guest, Carson uh, Daly. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, but until then, stay safe and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners, about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the Day to Dave on Twitter, and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past, like the world cast, through the years in the International House of Combat, to wrestling of the present, with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story, and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine, and the Truth, and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars